it's actually the, the Western diet that, is, that contains high acidic animal protein, dairy and grains that are the biggest culprits for creating more acidity. And actually I was just looking at this a few days ago, but there was a recent study that showed that interestingly for the UK, the consumption of ultra, like very processed foods in the UK are actually four times higher than in France, Greece, and Italy. Hello, and thank you for joining me today on the Natural Healthcare Network podcast. My name is Deb McLeod, and I really appreciate your sitting in and listening in. We have Romina Melwani of Biopractica joining us. They are a supplement company whose headquarters are in Australia, but Romina is their UK consultant. She's joining us today to share lots of information on a very complicated and somewhat contentious subject, which is pH balance. So I hope you find the information she has to share with us as interesting as I did. Thank you so much for being here with me today, Romina. It's great to have you here. Hi, Deb. Yes, I'm really excited to be here as well to talk about pH balance or acid-based balance which actually is a very interesting mechanism uh, that occurs in our body as a survival uh, mechanism. And yes, I definitely think we should start by explaining what is pH balance, but how is it actually relevant in clinic? And what is the impact of of acidity in in our bodies? So um, I just wanted to make it clear uh, for everyone listening that I'm not talking about stomach or gastric acids, although, of course, Um, you know, the stomach has a specific pH value, but um, pH actually stands for potential hydrogen um, to either form acidity or alkalinity. So really, it's it's about these hydrogen molecules uh, that we're talking about. It's really interesting because I, you know, I've been through school. We're both nutritional therapists, and we always talk about pH, pH balance, and acidity, alkalinity. And do you know, I, I I'm going to sound like a real ding dong. I never really, I don't remember it being potential hydrogen. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I think you're not the only one. Um, before uh, joining Biopractica, I had no idea what pH actually stood for. Um, but you're right, back in college, uh, we did cover this topic, but not in great depth. And yeah. definitely, I would say that today the information out there doesn't match the importance of acid-base balance being a fundamental approach to us in, in clinic and with our clients. Mm, it's true. It's true. I mean, and, and as you were saying earlier, there's so many aspects. Our body is constantly working on pH levels at stomach and and even now they're talking about vaginal pH but the key thing that we're really talking about today that I'm excited to learn more about is pH with our our blood is that right yes absolutely I mean every like you just said before every part of our body our connective tissues our lungs our skin um, all of them have a very specific pH value but we want to look today at, at specifically at blood pH. So when we're talking about potential hydrogen, what we're saying is that um, anything that will metabolize a hydrogen molecule would be considered alkaline, and anything that produces hydrogen molecules in our metabolism or contains hydrogen molecules in our food, for example, would be considered acidic. So this is just a quick uh, recap on, on this. We don't have to go into the complexities of 
what uh, the hydrogen and, and the different formulas are. But yes, I think you would remember this, and probably this is the only point I remember in pH back in college, <laughs> is that these values go from 0 to 14, yeah. <laughs> uh, in which the, the value 7 is considered neutral, and anything below 7 would be considered acidic, whereas anything above 7 would be considered alkaline. Mm-hmm. And um, what's very interesting about the blood pH dab is that um, the, the blood has a very specific, tightly controlled mechanism to make sure that uh, the, the pH value of the blood is strictly kept at a narrow reference range. And the body will do anything to keep that specific regulation in place. And this is where a lot of uh, dysfunctions happen in the body because Whatever happens, the, the body and the blood will fight to keep homeostasis in that pH. Mm. And um, this pH would be tightly controlled, as I said, and it would be it would this value would remain between 7.35 and 7.45. Right. Um, and it's it's a really interesting uh, range because uh, it really just has to go minutely lower to 7.2 for us to then experience metabolic acidosis. And metabolic acidosis is actually a life-threatening condition. Um, This is what you see in in hospitals when patients suffer from respiratory or kidney failure. So that is very, very different to what I want to talk to to you about today. Because we're talking about metabolic acidosis being a life-threatening, a life-critical problem. Yeah, but what I want to talk about is the subclinical levels of this issue. But it's the subclinical stuff that I think is there's a lot of controversial discussion, or there are lots of controversy surrounding it. So having you here, sorry to interrupt you, but having you here, it's really going to be interesting to hear your insights on the latest information on those mechanisms. That's what I, I'm really excited to hear more about. Yes, yes. I mean. Um, so this subclinical level of metabolic acidosis is actually has a specific technical term and okay. it's actually called chronic mild metabolic acidosis. And I find that very long, but <laughs> um, in short form, I would call it latent acidosis. Right. And you're right. There's a lot of research now that's emerging um, out there, you know, as recent as 2017, 2018 and even 2019. Um, proving that um, mild acidosis has a very, very big influence on a lot of uh, chronic diseases and negatively impacts not just the immune system or the the kidneys, but also the adrenals, the musculoskeletal system, um, inflammation and even pain signaling. And recently, there's also a lot of exciting information out there on insulin resistance. So oh, right. it's, it's interesting to see all these links uh, to uh, acid-base balance. So the interesting thing is how the body systems are all interconnected. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, what I wanted to say about mild acidosis or, mm-hmm. or latent acidosis is that, as, as I said before, it is, it is a, a subclinical issue. But this form of acidosis just really eats away at our health, as you well said now. Right. And um, what the recent reviews also are, are pointing out at is that there are long-standing um, consequences to excess acids in, in our blood. 
So uh, when you're looking at 7.35 and 7.45 being that narrow range mm -hmm. that the blood will uh, work towards maintaining, what you're looking at is in subclinical levels that these numbers are slightly skewed towards the lower end. So there's a constant fight um, happening uh, to maintain those levels and the body tries to compensate in various levels to, to achieve that. Wow, it's so tightly controlled. So where do we go from here? <laughs> I mean, there's, I mean, my, my oh. mind is kind of going all over the place on what mm. we could talk about with regards to this. So what have you found? Because it's, it's skewing to the lower end, you really want to obviously move it more towards the middle. And when you say to the lower end, it's um, our body really likes to be at 7.4, doesn't it? Ideally, I mean, yes. Ideally, you're looking at seven point four to seven point four five. When you're you're looking at um, acid levels, the blood pH being closer to seven point three five, then actually what's happening there? There's actually a very interesting process that kickstarts in our bodies, and uh, that is called the blood buffering system. Uh -huh. it's, it's a way for the body to compensate. Um, to compensate it, to bring it back to that very delicate balance when okay. there's a surplus of acidity in the blood. And the blood buffering system means that the body will look after the blood first. Why? Because it is the most important thing to keep us alive. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, as I said, without acid-based balance, blood, you know, we, we would eventually, we would die if, if mm -hmm. we were even skewed to 7.2, as I said. And at seven, we, we actually eventually uh, die. This is what you actually see in hospitals, etc. And this is what, what's really interesting because I think um, in, in some of our previous conversations, Deb, you, you had actually asked me this question at some <laughs> point and you'd said, uh, which nutrients are depleted to maintain the pH balance? Yeah. And that really is an excellent question because when the blood tries to buffer or to alkalize, the blood, yeah. it will actually try to look for alkalizing minerals that it has available or that it can grab onto. But um, one of the biggest reserves and stores of alkaline minerals are in fact in our bones. And our bones actually contain calcium, magnesium, and yeah. potassium. So all these wonderful alkalizing minerals are, are actually present in the bones. Yeah. So what happens in the buffering system when, when the blood is trying to bring it back or closer to the 7.4 or the 7.45, is that we start to see these minerals being liberated from, from the bone. And what's also interesting is that we also see muscle breakdown because nitrogen and, my, and magnesium are actually also liberated from the muscles. So these are kind of the two sources of, of um, alkalizing minerals that are used by the body to alkalize or buffer the, the blood. Mm -hmm. And so when you're talking about what nutrients actually are depleted in the pH in, in, our, in our systems, I would say these specific minerals, calcium, magnesium, potassium, uh, sodium, and even zinc are, are depleted because they're used to correct uh, this, this mechanism where these acidic hydrogen molecules are are uh, created and then are, are pushed through the kidneys. Oh, wow. So yeah. it's, it's really unfortunate, but, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's not a surprise today that um, with time, 
our bones do get fragile and we develop a lot of different conditions, as you know, mm-hmm. a lot of muscular skeletal issues such as osteoporosis, arthritis, and, and there are loads of studies now showing you this link between acid-based balance and muscular skeletal condition. And that's where we get into a lot of people to talk about the, um, I guess, the buffering system where the acid levels show up in your urine. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So um, people say it's not your blood that's acidic, it's your urine that's acidic, and that's where people have a sense of confusion. Um, yes, I, I would say they, they do have that confusion because um, when you're, you're looking at, at the blood, as I said, no matter what is happening, you know, when you're actually testing the blood, the blood will remain between that 735 and 7.45 mm-hmm. so really you have no way of of actually knowing that that there is any any kind of acidity taking place in in the blood so what what you're looking at is as you well said is is to look at urinary urinary uh testing and you're uh-huh. looking at uh, urine to see what is being uh excreted and there are a lot of ways to test this you could have ph strips or you could have laboratories testing for the net acid excretion, which is a 24-hour analysis. Mm-hmm. And what you're looking at there is compound. what compounds are actually excreted. So the higher the net acid, the higher the, the acid load. Um, but what I find uh, quite interesting is that when you're actually measuring the, the urine to, to see the, the dietary acid production over the 24 hours um, testing, um, you would notice that acid-forming foods, for example, would increase calcium excretion in urine, sometimes by even over 74%. Mm. Um, so, so it's interesting to see that we are not just seeing um, acid compounds. We're also seeing a lot of um, massive excretions of these minerals that are actually being leached out of the bone and then excreted into the, out of the urine. Right. So it's it's quite unfortunate um, to see that. And then um, you also see other uh, urinary excretions of, of um, cortisol as well. That means that a lot of cortisol uh, has also been used to, to buffer the system as well. So again, you're looking at, at the urine and you're looking at these levels and, and measuring that. Gosh. Okay. So, so it's assessing what's in our urine. Our urine is excreting the excess that our blood is just getting rid of. And you're saying that that excretion of the minerals is, what is it telling us exactly? I think that's where I'm trying to get to, but where do we go from, from there? What it's telling us is that your acid load is very high and that you are actually creating more acids than you're getting rid of, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, so, you know, there's actually, it's, it's a great question because back in the 1940s, mm. uh, someone asked that very same question. How do you, um, what do you do when there's an excess acids that have been uh, shown in your blood tests, as you're saying? And uh, back in the 40s, um, some German and American scientists actually um, created a calculation to be able to measure the acid load that's coming into the body versus what's going out of the body. Right. And that specific table is called the PRAL table, the potential renal acid load. And I find it a very, very, um, very 
useful table to be able to calculate the acid load of all food types because what you really want to do is you want to make sure that there is um, less acid coming in and therefore less acid to excrete out of our systems. Okay. Um, because the one of the main culprits of um, that suffers from an excess acid load is actually our kidneys that are working very very hard to excrete the excess acids that that are in our uh, in our systems. But going back to this clinical guide, the PRAL table, mm -hmm. the potential renal acid load. Um, so this this calculation is, is very simple, actually. It's a scientific calculation that uh, measured the acid production of foods, basically the proteins versus the minerals. So we're not trying to see um, if a, a food is acidic or alkaline. What we're looking at is when you're actually ingesting the food, what is the alkalinity or acidity of that specific food? That is what the PRAL table is looking to to measure. So uh, to give you an example, to make it more simple for you, <laughs> is um, some a food that has a positive acid load um, would be a, a food that contains very high proteins, uh, such as animal protein, which is considered to be acidifying. So mm -hmm. beef, for example, would have a positive acid load of 7.8 um, in 100 grams of beef. And apples, for example, which are, are considered as alkaline foods, have actually a negative value in the PRAL table of minus 2.2, meaning that there isn't much, um, there, there's barely any acidity that's being formed. And on the contrary, you know, an apple is actually considered to be an alkaline food. So it's, it's a very interesting table because you can actually look at someone's uh, dietary lifestyle um, you know, diet, dietary habits and, and check to see uh, how many acidifying foods are they eating versus how many uh, mineral or um, uh, alkaline foods are they eating. And to make that even more simple for you, because, um, you know, that table, you can look at it and say, well, everything that's in red is acidifying and everything that's in green is alkalizing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But really, you want to first understand, well, how alkaline do I actually need to be? Right. So you remember I was saying the kidneys are the ones that are actually excreting the acids. Mm -hmm. They're amazing. They're amazing organs, aren't they? What they do. Small, but powerful workhorses. Very, very amazing. And, you know, that's why we have two kidneys, because yeah. Yeah. they're constantly working hard to, you know, filter and to, to get rid of anything that's not needed in the body. And um, the kidneys are the main... Um, organs in our body to excrete these excess acids. But the problem is that today the, the kidneys can only excrete roughly between 40 to 60 milli equivalents of acids a day. Gosh. Um, and if you looked at a typical Western diet, that can, that, um, you know, we, we know the typical Western diet of, yeah. uh, you know, people eating too many carbohydrates too much of processed foods and meats, etc. You're looking at unhealthy, unhealthy diets producing up to 100 milli equivalents of acids a day. So the math is, is very simple here. If your body is able to excrete, your kidneys are able to excrete about 50 milli equivalents of acids, but you're producing about 100 milli equivalents, then 
you know, you're, you're, you're really creating a big strain, an acid burden, an acid load on your kidneys. This is really fascinating. So it's, so it is kind of the, I think the confusion comes around where people are often saying, you're not, you're not going to have acetic blood. So in essence, it is your your blood is sorting itself out, but what the um, what our kidneys are telling us is that we are eating too much of an acetic diet, and if your acid levels are are really high, then you are potentially overburdening your your body, your system, hence your kidneys. So it, it simplified it for me just by saying what you've said. Absolutely. So. As you well said before, it's not just, yes, we know that the body auto-regulates itself, the blood will auto-regulate itself, mm. but there's a consequence to that. And it's, as you said, the kidneys suffering this excess acid load. And it's interesting because as practitioners, you know, even with our healthy whole food diets, we do produce approximately 20 to 50 milli equivalents of, of acids a day. Right. And the... The interesting question here is that um, it isn't just our foods that produce acidity in our blood. Yeah. There are other factors as well that, that come into play here. So simply doing the math with food is great, but there's a few other factors to, to keep in mind when, um, when looking at, at this delicate balance, really. So it's going to be environmental, I'm guessing. Is it going to be some, I don't mean to say that that's basic, or, or what are those other factors going to be? So our own body's metabolism has a, a net acid production that is created. So from all the different metabolic processes that happen in our body, we actually do end up producing some uh, acids as well. Mm. But what's more interesting is, as you well said, environmentally, or uh, rather I'd say uh, a lot of the environmental and uh, stress factors that we're, we're faced with, actually stress does produce um, a negative acid-base balance in the body by increasing these acid levels even further. So it's not just the high-protein foods we're talking about, but stress plays a huge role. And um, it's, it's actually quite a complex mechanism in our blood again, but when there's increased acidosis, then uh, through stress, there's an increased... Uh, free uh, levels of ammonia in the body to create a buffer. So it's another type of buffering that happens within our, our bodies, aside from the, the blood buffer that, that I mentioned before. Right. And this actually causes increased cortisol levels above the levels that the body actually needs for normal processes. And I'm not going to get into the, the negative effects of excess cortisol um, you know, within us because we've seen all the clinical evidence, whether it's for uh, cardiovascular issues, insulin resistance, uh, weight gain, metabolic issues that we see, but we know that excess cortisol will not only further acidity in the blood, but create all these other health conditions that I just mentioned. Yeah, I mean, there's so many different things, which which leads me, I mean, one of the things that often comes up in discussion as well is to talk about blood and pH and cancer. And I know it's not something that we are really going to address today because there's plenty of research, but you've got some information that we can point people to on your website. Is that right? So, I mean, there, there are a lot of studies out there, 
but uh, we have a practitioner called Joe Gamble that talks about alkalinity uh, in that area that you can yeah. definitely look at her webinar on, on our website. Great. Okay. Because I know that's a, a real big topic for a lot of people. Yes, absolutely. I mean, aside from her webinar, we do have an education library of various webinars, even just uh, a webinar that, that is called Back to Basics, where mm. you, can, you can try to um, explore a little bit more this topic of acid-base balance and uh, latent acidosis, as I said. But I think one of the main areas that we, we also see today is, is, as I said, bone loss, demineralization that occurs even in mild acidosis. Mm -hmm. um, and the body using all these mineral buffers in the blood to release these alkaline minerals um, from, from the blood. Um, and there is another interesting point that I think I, I, was, I was going to mention when it came to not just uh, nutrient depletion, but what's also interesting is when the blood and the tissue pHs are altered, even in the smallest amount, there is actually a dysfunction that can be caused in the body's enzyme functions oh. and even transport of these nutrients. Right, which is going to have a knock-on effect in so many ways, our digestion, then our energy production, etc., etc. Exactly, exactly. Our detoxification processes... Mm. Um, as you well said, energy, metabolism, kidney function, um, all of these, uh, the enzymes are actually affected, interestingly, by, by this pH imbalance. Interesting. So we've talked through that the, the urine is telling us that our diets uh, and or our lifestyle is creating a, an acidic level. Can we talk about some of the, the studies that you have found where, where the body is trying to, to rebalance itself, as it were? Um, have you got studies to indicate that there's some things that we can do nutritionally to help ourselves? Yes, so um, I would always say that the first point of um, the first starting point would always be having more alkaline foods in our body. So again, when you're looking at this PRAL table, the potential renal acid load, you can see that fruits and vegetables contain very high amounts of citrates. Citrates are, are basically uh, citric acids that are present in all fruits and vegetables. And um, these are a way of, of naturally alkalizing our, our blood and using that as, as a way to nutritionally support ourselves and to change a little bit that, that acid, to lower that acid load. Mm -hmm. But yes, I can see that when there are a lot of chronic issues uh, that come into play, then, you know, just changing the diet might not be enough because, as I said before, even with someone on a whole food, uh, plant-based diet, for example, Mm -hmm. You're still producing up to 15 milliequivalents of acids, but you're not taking into account all the other ways that we're building acidity in our in our blood, as I said, with stress, inflammation, etc. So um, using a citrate um, alkaline supplementation actually does have a very quick effect on regulating uh, the blood pH. Yeah, we know you've got some excellent products, which I think we can address some of those, but we'll have a link for the Biopractica website so people can find out some of the, the lovely supplements that you have available for people. Um, can I ask you, 
a heated um, about something that's going to be quite a hot topic, and that's really to talk about meats. And um, because you know we're all the rage of eating more vegetables, but you know there are people that really do enjoy eating meat. I mean, I'm not a meat eater, and that's 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 about my life. But there are so many people out there that really do enjoying meat. So, can you talk through a little bit about? the effects of meat. And I know it's going to be more acidic. Um, And also, I mean, we know uh, we can talk about the the sugar and the refined carbohydrates. um, But I am curious if we could go into a little bit of detail on that. And we're not really, it'd be nice to talk about dairy a little bit as well. But I know that there's sort of inconclusive results on that. Am, Am I right? Yes, yes. I mean, so with with meat, definitely, I would say that um, there is a lot of evidence out there that um, high meat consumption, uh, which is high protein consumption, yeah. uh, are considered to be acid-forming foods. Whereas with dairy, as you said, there is quite a lot of conflicting information because um, with dairy, we can also see some form of acid forming happening in, in our blood pH. But yes, going back to, to the meat, what I find really interesting is that it's actually... The, the Western diet that is that contains high acidic animal protein, dairy and grains that are the biggest culprits for creating more acidity. And actually, I was just looking at this a few days ago, but there was a recent study that showed that, interestingly, for the UK, the consumption of ultra, like very processed foods in the UK are actually four times higher than in France, Greece, and Italy. For goodness sake. And this was a study done with 19 other European countries. So a very interesting point to look at, especially for us in the UK, um, that, you know, this standard Western diet does contain high amounts of acidic animal protein and sadly low levels of alkalizing mineral-rich plant matter. And there's something also a little bit of a conundrum, I would say here, is all of these other diets that we look at today that we talk about in books and um, have become quite a trend here with the ketogenic diet, the paleo diet that is also very high in protein, the bodybuilders that are eating a lot of protein. So just as a side note, I'm, I'm not saying that all acid forming foods or high protein foods are a bad choice. What I'm saying is to choose, if you are choosing an acid-forming food, a high-protein source, then do balance that out with greater selections of alkaline foods as well. Um, so have a, 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 you know, a one to two ratio of, of uh, protein versus alkalizing foods. Um, and, and that is really the problem. The problem is that, uh, you know, these, these high these high diets can actually be a big warning on on us. And interestingly, actually, just today, Deb, there was an article uh, that was published by the European Renal Association that was warning that high-protein diets can actually have a negative effect on health and could actually set people on the fast lane to irreversible kidney damage, as you can imagine. Right. Yeah. So again, it's down to most everything that we we learn from the the very beginning. It's really homeostasis, which is all about balance. Everything is a sense of balance. You know, what do you what do you say? So you eat your protein in whatever form it is, but make sure you you balance it out with all those wonderful um, healthy vegetables and fruits, which fruits have been given such a bad name for so long. And actually, I hope they're going to become a hero. 
I, I truly agree with you. I mean, you know, I mentioned Apple having a minus 2.2, but there's all the other fruits are highly alkalizing um, for, for us and, and really just gives that the kidneys a break to just um, to do what they have to do. Because another point that happens is that our kidney functions diminish with age. So there's a decline of, of kidney functions and so therefore our body's ability to cope with excess acid is is also reduced. Um, yeah. Yeah. So if we if we we move on and talk about, you know, you're you're working with clients, you're trying to help them improve their their eating and reducing their stress levels, which we know the stress and or I was on a, a webinar uh, last night listening to uh, someone talking about life load, which I think is, you know, it's it's a, almost a better use of uh, than the word stress, because it's true, all the different things that we have piling on us. So mm -hmm. you have some really lovely products available at Biopractica that you can, people can use just to give your body a little extra boost. Is that is that right? Yes. So the, the thing that happens is that if you did have you know, the fruits and vegetables, um, if you were on a plant diet, as I said, and you weren't suffering any condition, then, you know, the dietary changes are enough. But actually, with, with a lot of the serious conditions we're looking at, you know, citrate formulas, we have the, the Basica Active, which is um, specifically a citrate formula that was actually clinically trialed several times to, um, to show that uh, this citrate formula actually increased bone density and neutralized the diet-induced acid load that we suffer from today. So it, it's a very interesting one because um, what, I, what, what actually stood out for me when I first looked at it was uh, that they had a table that showed me how alkaline the, the product was. And just one scoop of the Basica is actually equivalent to one over one kilo of, of alkalizing fruits and vegetables. So it's quite a big a number when you're looking to uh, therapeutically use it and regulate our systems. I mean, one scoop equivalent to over a kilo of fruit and vegetables is a fast track here. Yeah, it's a huge difference uh, to help support our body. Can you, can you talk a little bit more about um, citrate? Because there's uh, conventionally from the information that you shared and also just knowing what our more conventional practitioners do they use bicarbonate more often mm. don't they so can you talk about the differences a, a little bit of the differences between bicarbonate and um citrate and how they you know why you've chosen citrate i mean we've talked a little bit about it but mm. just the benefits of it Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the citrate form is, is actually the natural form, as I said, with citric acid that is naturally occurring in fruits and vegetables. So that was one of the main reasons we decided to use citrate-bound minerals, uh, not just being the most efficient, but also the safest way to alkalize the body's tissues and protect the kidneys. But you're right, uh, conventionally, a lot of people do use uh, bicarbonate, and if you look at it on from you know from a, a short term perspective, yes, um, simply replacing regulating pH with bicarbonate could be alkalizing in the short term, but actually in the long term it can actually have the reverse effect and lead to subclinical acidosis as well mm -hmm. as as other conditions. 
So when you're looking at latent acidosis, as I said before, you know, we have all these buffering mechanisms that kickstart and overwhelm our, our kidneys, etc. Mm-hmm. And if you're you're deciding to take uh, bicarbonate, what actually happens is that uh, bicarbonate actually starts to get released immediately in the stomach acid. So we don't want to actually make any changes in the pH of the stomach acid, as we well know, because you know, having uh, adequate uh, hydrochloric acids in our stomach helps to helps us with our digestive process. Right. So we really don't want to touch that side of things. Um, but what happens with, with sodium bicarbonate is that there's an increase of uh, stomach carbon dioxide, which then increases that pH of the stomach acid. Right. And uh, that can create all sorts of, of imbalances, even in the microbiota, leading to to SIBO, for example, and you know, we, we really don't want to make things worse for someone that is that has come into to our clinic for some kind of a condition because um, we want to make sure that the digestive tract is, is working optimally. And right, citrates, which, yes. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I was just gonna say, which is the knock-on effect with enzymes again, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So okay. Exactly. That's, right. that's, that's very true. It has a, a big link to the enzymes as well and also the transport of nutrients not reaching where they they need to reach and um, what I've seen also is that a lot of uh, people have even mentioned some side effects of ingesting bicarbonate which includes nausea diarrhea um, vomiting etc so not only you're you're interfering with stomach acids but you know you're you're experiencing all these symptoms Right. Um, but as I said before, citrates are found naturally in fruits and vegetables, and they're actually absorbed um, as a salt. So they're just with as magnesium, potassium, sodium, and their effects are, are long lasting as well. Cool. Uh, it's amazing, isn't it? Did Biopractica, they've done the research on this, so they created the supplementation for it. Is that what they have yes. done? So they've worked with um, several professors that have been researching acid-base balance for many years and they've improved the formulations and they've actually put this product into clinical trials. So the Bastica, for example, as I said, um, one of the, the clinical trials that I that struck me um, was this, this trial that was done on, I think, over 200 subjects. And, you know, they went through the actual typical double-blind, placebo-controlled, randomized trial and they did this study for about two years, right. where they either gave these these subjects sixty, I think it was sixty uh, mmu of potassium citrate or placebo, and it it was just amazing to see the the results of uh, the changes just in, in bone density of those that had taken the, the potassium citrate. So very interesting studies, and and there's several other studies actually going on, not just for bone health but again we're looking at cortisol and stress response there was another study that they mentioned to me on insulin resistance that is actually being done at the moment to see that insulin sensitivity and the receptors of the insulins are actually uh, less impaired when taking this uh, basica the alkaline supplementation hmm. so very exciting uh, trials happening at the moment with the basica and um you know, aside from the, the bicarbonate, we also get this question uh, quite frequently saying, well, actually, I could just take some apple cider vinegar 
or I could mm. take some alkaline uh, water and, and, you know, I can compensate for the alkalinity or some lemon juice, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you would have to take quite a few liters of, of lemon juice or apple cider vinegar to achieve the results of, of one scoop of, of the basica. So, again, very interesting when you're looking at a day-to-day, maintaining your alkaline, absolutely, you know, go for the lemon juice, go for the mm-hmm. apple cider vinegar. But when you're looking at addressing, you know, very chronic uh, acidity, then then you want to, to make that process a bit quicker. Yeah. Yeah, it's all about giving that system the boost that it needs and the right nutrients to help maintain that. Um, have we talked a little bit about such the dreaded word leaching? Mm-hmm. Can we go through that? I mean, there's such a controversy of how the foods we eat are leaching and this and that. Is, can you explain that? Is that okay? Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, leaching is is again is is the same as the you know the negative connotation behind leaching is is actually, again, looking at these buffering mechanisms where the, the blood pH wants to remain alkaline, so it will leach these minerals out of the bones. So that right. is where the leaching happens, um, where, you know, all of our minerals are, are, you know, located, as I said, the biggest reserves are in our bones, but also the muscle breakdown that I mentioned with the magnesium etc. All of this creates a process of leaching because if the body wants to use a survival mechanism with the buffering, then it will make that its priority. And, you know, the knock-on effect is that um, our, our bones suffer and with time we, we have a, a huge sign of bone loss happening. So mm-hmm. I think that is where the, the controversy or, or some of the um, discussions are happening around the bones getting fragile and us developing these conditions that I mentioned, all the muscular skeletal conditions that I mentioned before. Mm, absolutely. Hence the knock-on effect for the health issues that you have, as you said, the osteoporosis, the arthritis, cardiovascular disease, since that's connective tissue as well. It, it's all linked in, all linked absolutely. up. Absolutely, absolutely. That is, I mean, it's really fascinating. So one of the things I wondered, um, you've got information on the European Renal Association that's just come out. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I don't know if you can provide a link to that and also your research on the potassium citrate and bone density. Those would be some great things for us to share with people, if you don't mind. Absolutely. I'd love to have some links on that, as well as your tables. We're going to have a link for people if they haven't already registered with Biopractica, then they should, because there are these really good bits of information you have on the ABCs of acid-base balance and the, the Prowl table, as well as other wonderful things that people can download. And um, but I wondered, are there some other things that I haven't really touched on that you would like to talk about with regards to pH? Because I know you're really passionate about it. Firstly, yes, we can definitely send you all these clinical tools. Great. I would say, you know, uh, register with Biopractica and you get access to all these wonderful webinars on mm. not just, you know, what, what I've mentioned, but even on pain signaling, on inflammation, um, I recently did something, I, I gave a talk about uh, last week actually on the role of pH and insulin resistance. So there's quite a lot of, of studies uh, around that as well. Um, and yes, I, I wanted to say that, uh, you know, there's different ways of assessing perhaps pH balance because one question I get a lot is, you know, how do I assess 
for uh, active base balance in my clients. And, um, you know, you, you do have three ways of doing that. You have the pH strips. So you can actually take pH strips to look at the, the urine levels of, of the acidity as we mentioned before. And, um, of course, it's not always very effective because, you know, with, with urine, it, it can be affected by the time of the day, the diet mm. on that day, the, the medication, the stress levels, as I said before. So it's, it's interesting to measure that over a per- period of days and at the same time every day uh, right. to, to look at those levels. And then you can also interestingly measure your serum bicarbonate, which is a different way of doing that. So in the buffering systems, you're looking at uh, 52% of the buffering happens with bicarbonate. Hence, this whole discussion about, you know, using bicarbonate to alkalize the blood. But yes, it it does represent the alkaline reserves that are available in the body. So lowered um, bicarbonate might have a significance, serum bicarbonate. And then you have another very complex mechanism, but it, it is available to, to look at this as well, which is the, the onion gap, which is the difference between sodium potassium versus bicarbonate and the chloride. So it's a, it's a very uh, complex calculation, but it is there is a test that can be done around that, and um, it would look at metabolic acidosis. So we have a lot of information around these testing tools as well. We have, as you said, the ABC of assessing acidity, uh, acid-base balance, the PRAL table, the potential renal acid load, as you well said. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a really nice guide to, to, look at, um, to look at the client's dietary uh, foods and guide them in the right way. And lots of other tidbits that I would say to sign up and to, to look at that information. And do you provide those quite complicated tests? Some of these tests are, are available, you know, in, in the UK and some mm-hmm. are available with the GP actually, but the testing strips are, are available for yeah. the dispensary. We have, um, we have some testing strips, but again, I would say to measure it over a couple of days and, and we actually guide you on, on that. It's quite a simple way to just measure it across a few days at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's, there's so many factors involved with that, aren't there? And it's almost, I mean, it's a great sort of a, um, I think a, a basic guide on, on potentially what's going on or either maybe to let you know if you need to do further tests. Um, so it's good that you've got these three different things available. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I would say, you know, um, even if you didn't want to do a test, you know, the renal acid loads of foods, it, it can be pretty self-explanatory when you're looking at someone's uh, diet and lifestyle and their stress levels, etc. So uh, lots of exciting information out there at the moment. Yeah, I mean, people can even just look at this. I, I like this, um, the prowl table that you've got. You can just have people tick stuff and say how, many, how much they're eating in a, on a weekly basis, although they should do that in their food diaries. But I think sometimes they forget, you know, everyone's busy. And they think, oh, yeah, um, I forgot I had that. People can't remember what they do right. from day to day. So um, including food is sometimes going to be a bit confusing. But that's a great little guide. What What else would we would you like to address, um, Romina, that, that I haven't touched on with regards to the complexities of pH? I mean, there's just so much we could go on. I was thinking I'd love to hear more about insulin, but that's probably another 
another 45 minutes discussion. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say. I mean, um, I found the, you know, the insulin side of things quite, uh, quite interesting because um, you would never know that, you know, acidity, like acid-based, you know, lower pH can actually have such a big impact even on the receptor sites of, of, uh, of insulin receptor sites. Not just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, lowering the number of receptor sites available, but also lowering for phosphorylation, which is the sensitivity of these receptor sites. So there's so much interest. There's so many different um, aspects to to look at. But yes, you're right. I could I could go on for another 45 minutes when it comes to um, insulin resistance and and looking at so many different population level studies on acid base insulin resistance and, and diabetes i mean um you know th- there was one one population study done on over sixty six thousand women i remember looking at that and um looking at that correlation between uh diabetes and high dietary acidity so um mm. lots of, of interesting information out there yeah, really fascinating. I mean, we know that with diabetes, the kidneys are, are potentially going to be on overload anyway. Um, and then people go, there was something that came out recently about, again, the high protein diet um, for people who have diabetes and then what's the overall effect on kidney health. Um, so obviously, so there's a lot, um, maybe we should do a, a session on that, which I would love. <laughs> yes. I would love to do something to talk about that because I'm fascinated more, more and more I read up on diabetes. Uh, I'm so fascinated because of the complexities and the health issues. So, Absolutely. Um, I mean, there, there's, mm-hmm. there's really a conundrum there because, you know, someone with diabetes, you'd look to put them on a high protein diet, but then the kidneys are suffering. And, you know, this mm-hmm. is where I was, I was saying about the European renal association, that paper, that article that was warning about high protein diets. Yeah. Uh, again, I'm not, you know, against high protein diets. In fact, uh, I think that protein is crucial. It's, it's the building blocks of our mitochondria, as we well know. But um, again, it's it's all about balance and homeostasis, as you said before. Mm. Yeah, yeah, always, always. I drive my partner crazy with that. <laughs> all about a balance, and it is. Okay, well, listen, thank you so much for giving us sort of a, it's only scratching the surface. There's there's so much we could talk about with regards to um, pH balance, but this has been a, a real good introduction, at least for me. I hope it has been a value for you. To, it's been your time that you've given me, so uh, I really appreciate it. And what we'll do is we'll have lots of links in the show notes for the Briopractica website and people can, as we've said, register and then the research on the potassium citrate and bone density and also the latest research on uh, from the Renal Association. That would be great. Um, I know it would be helpful. Absolutely. More than happy to to give you all of that information and and to, to have a read through that. I, I was quite, I, I thought it was quite timely to to see that article today and 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 share that with you today so thank you for having me oh it's my pleasure romina thank you again well folks that's all for today i'd really like to thank you for listening in to the natural health care network podcast 
I hope you found the information that Romina Melwani of Biopractica had to share with us today as interesting as I did. Don't forget, these shows are here to educate, communicate, support, collaborate, and inspire each other. So I hope you're finding that they're striking the right tone. I'd like to ask you, if you haven't done so already, to leave me a review. Give me any information or any details on people you'd like for me to have on the show. And I'd also like to ask you to please subscribe. I really would appreciate it. But in the meantime, I'd like to wish you a happy, healthy week ahead. Bye for now.